I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. And I'm your host, Alex Brennan. We are a podcast for the strange and unusual. Every other Friday, we release an episode where one of your hosts teaches the other about a topic or event that we find to be strange or unusual. On Monday, before the episode is released, we post our custom-themed cocktail recipe so you have time to get the ingredients and drink along with us. So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We have a small problem. All four engines have stopped. We're doing our damnedest to get it under control. I trust you are not in too much distress. Yes, it's interesting what runs through your mind, isn't it? I remember that what ran through my mind was, oh, mum, you know, mum, I'm so sorry, you know, that you're going to not, you won't see the baby grow up and, and how much she would miss us. Then after a while I thought, well, you know, at least we're all together, the three of us. And then the next thought was, oh, no, we'll be all right, you know, we'll land in the sea and we'll get into life rafts and, and we'll be rescued. But then, you know, really, we all knew that this was it. We were actually plummeting to our death, deaths and there was nothing that we could do about it. Come on. It's <laughs> like a limp dick. <laughs> Pushing rope over like here. You will have all the plosives today. Can't nobody plosive me. There we go. Oh, come on. Why do you want to go to the right? <laughs> all right. I think I think we're good. There we go. Uh, all right. So what all the, in our misinformation minute? I have uh, first the captions on pictures on the website. Okay. So uh, let's. This is our new segment, I guess. The uh, misinformation minute. <laughs> this is where we uh, correct things we've told you that were lies or wrong, <laughs> or also uh, just give you additional needed information to fully participate in this podcast. My editing of the website has been imperfect. <laughs> Look, we are all human and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we learned today because. Um, I usually, whenever I'm editing the website, I'm you looking at the desktop computer version of it. I have several times had to remind myself that you have to check the mobile version of the site. And on more than one occasion, I've had like a text message coming from a Lacey being like, um, so this page is kind of fucked up on the mobile site. Do you want to check it out? So I've gotten better at that. But one of the things that we realized today is that if you're on our website and you go to the actual episode... <coughs> You cough on a phlegm ball. Oh, well, is that a bug or a feature? <laughs> it's a feature. Good, good. Um, but if you go to our website, I always like to put together a gallery that kind of goes along, goes hand in hand with whatever our subject matter is. But we also may find more information that I'll put in that gallery. What I didn't realize I needed to do is put a disclaimer on the gallery that you need to click on the picture. And then if you scroll down on the mobile site, it'll tell you who the picture is of or what it's of. And then sometimes there'll be like a little bit of an extra piece of information below that. And then on the main site, if you click on it on the right hand side, it'll tell you who it is and give a brief description. And we discovered this by me going to the website and being like, wow, Alex has uploaded so many pictures for the Count of St. Germain episode. And I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> and there are no descriptions. So I don't understand. And then she's like, scroll down. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm a dumbass. <laughs> But we figured if I have that problem, like, I'm probably not the only one, so... Yeah, yeah. Disclaimer. At, at first, like, you didn't realize, like, if you click on the picture, like, it brings up all that information, too. Or that you can scroll through on it, and I don't know why I just assumed 
people would know what to do. Well, I think because you're like in charge of doing the technical stuff and you have more of a knack for it generally and it's probably more intuitive for you. I forget that um, not everyone's a robot like I am. (laughs) (laughs) I am a cocktail dispensing machine. I apologize for all of my errors, errors, errors. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had another thing on Misinformation Minute. Uh, What was I going to say? Oh, yes. I wanted to just formally announce that we're doing uh, mocktail recipes for all of our cocktails um, starting this month and going forward. So wanted just everyone to be very aware of that. And I'll go over each recipe uh, as we're in the episode. And we also have been posting both of the recipes for the cocktail and the mocktail version just to make this a little bit more inclusive. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to encourage alcoholism amongst our listeners. (laughs) And we know that there are lots of people who don't drink either for their lifetime or for a period of time for multiple reasons. And I want to respect that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I told you that recently uh, Heath no longer drinks alcohol because he's had just so many bad reactions. And we think he may actually have um, an allergy to the yeast that they use in beer. Oh, my gosh. So he does not drink anymore, period. Like, he may have a glass of wine, like, once in a blue moon, like on a special occasion, but he just doesn't drink anymore. Wow, he's pretty clean now. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and yet he's still supplying us with wine all the time. That's nice. I like that. <laughs> I appreciates it. Yeah, that's what I appreciate about him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think that's... Oh, and I also just... Uh, our schedule, too. We're uh, always posting the cocktail and mocktail recipes on the Monday before the episode is released, so you can have time to gather the ingredients. Yeah. All right, I think that's that's Yay. it for Misinformation Minute. Okay, so uh, speaking of cocktails and mocktails, what are you serving me this week? I am serving you Tailspin. <laughs> tailspin! Tailspin! <laughs> yeah, it definitely made me think of the cartoon. Uh, so for this uh, episode, Alex is doing the story, so I had access to very limited information about what we're talking about today. I knew it had to do with an airplane. I knew it had to do with Australia and Indonesia. And also fire. <laughs> and that was it. So what I decided to do was combine flavors from Australia and Indonesia into a cocktail. Oh. Uh, so that's where the inspiration came from. And then the name Tailspin is mostly kind of about the you know, actual story, I think. But um, I, could, I didn't want to put anything like too fiery in the drink because it made me think fireball. And like, I think we'll save that for something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what is in this cocktail is uh, it's four parts of Australian beer. I found a pale ale. It's the only Australian beer that Total Wine was selling. I want to say it's called Cooper's, so I was excited okay. that they had one. It's four parts Australian pale ale, half a part of dark spiced rum, one part ginger liqueur, squeeze of lemon, and a dash of cardamom. Okay. Well, I as I said, like when we started, like I smell ginger. I love ginger. You're absolutely right. Uh, so the Australian beer is the Australian flavor, and then the rest of the flavors are Indonesia inspired. It also has a toasted coconut rim. I read oh. that uh, coconut, cardamom, uh, and lemongrass are really like common flavors in Indonesia. I did try to make a lemongrass simple syrup. And it completely failed. I think I needed way more lemongrass and way less syrup, but it is just more, it's pretty expensive to buy lemongrass. So Mm -hmm. I didn't want to like keep buying it and keep failing. So I decided to scrap that and just go like straight lemon. I appreciate the attempt. (laughs) I I appreciate that you do all of our cocktails. I'm just like the lazy asshole that's like, just give me something to drink. I have fun making them though. And we also, uh, we upgraded our equipment a little bit. So uh, now the uh, cocktail photographs, I'm actually taking pictures of the cocktails inside a little photo cube and I've got a ring light. 
now, so Ooh. we're getting very high-tech up here. <laughs> I did notice the quality was increasing. It's like, I don't know if, like, Lacey, like recently like mastered photoshop out of nowhere or no i'm just like i'm learning a lot more about like i how to photograph cocktails and also just like little bits of photo editing stuff to like make give us a little more variation and um just some visual appeal so i hope that you guys enjoy both the cocktail and the presentation cheers cheers we definitely got some coconut on that yeah but yeah that is i can taste like where it feels like the Australian beer is like, it's so light, it's almost not there. So like, you need the other stuff in it so you can taste what's going on. Uh, it's actually not the case. The Australian beer, um, I find it to be terrible. Okay, so you <laughs> watered it down. Uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to, I googled like how to make beer cocktails because I wanted to understand how flavors and beer pair up with mm -hmm. cocktail flavors. And with pale ales, that I've, it's like lemon and citrusy things are supposed to bring out the best in that. So that's why I wanted to add some lemon. And I feel like you can taste a little bit of like the wheat in it. I think that's really yeah. the only note you get. But if you just drink this beer, I'll give you a sip afterwards if you want of like the beer straight and like... I really did not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that makes sense with pale ales, because, like, uh, with Blue Moon, people put orange slices in it. With Coronas, people put limes in it. That, so. that makes sense for good pairing. Um, I knew this guy who was a bartender, and he showed uh, Heath and I this trick once, where if you take uh, if you take the glass and you fill it halfway with, like, a Bud Light or something, and then you fill the other half of it with a Sprite, mm. it tastes very similar to champagne. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds um, like a modified shandy, like a yeah. lemonade beer. Sounds good. Mm. Summer, get here. Also, thanks to you, now I'm gonna go home, turn on the Disney Plus that my building managers let me log into and watch some Tailspin. Mm, yes. I was thinking about uh, my crush on Rebecca as I was making this cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of uh, the villain in it? The fox guy? I don't know. I, I know Rebecca. His favorite character. <laughs> I used I had, to watch it all the time. I had all the toys. I even had like the like the boat plane that they flew. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I was so into Tailspin. Okay, so you want to talk about an actual plane? Definitely. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so uh, unlike the Count of St. Germain, which was an hour and a half long episode. Wait, pause. I just said I would go over the mocktail recipe and I didn't. <laughs> Literally, I just said that. Okay. I was like, oh, wait. Okay, what's the mocktail recipe? The mocktail recipe for Tailspin is two parts of non-alcoholic IPA, three parts ginger beer, so you still get the ginger taste, uh, a squeeze of lemon, dash of cardamom bitters, and a dash of imitation rum extract, which I just learned is a thing and doesn't have alcohol in it, whereas real rum extract does. Okay, now I know. And toasted coconut along the rim, just like yeah. a regular cocktail. Okay, I thank you. I love some coconut. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And I made extra, so uh, all this morning, all this morning, all this week, I've been putting toasted coconut in my oatmeal that I have for breakfast. I've been like, ooh, little treat for me. <laughs> I love coconut. He doesn't like coconut, so we don't usually have it in the house. But Yeah, I, it's a really divisive flavor. I don't think for him it's the flavor, thinks the texture. Interesting. Yeah, I found that like with a lot of things that he's not a fan of. Like He likes the flavor of it, but the texture is just something he can't get past, which is another thing for some people. Yeah, that's totally fair. I've got foods like that, too. Also, right. like, I apologize, listeners, if we're a little bit more spacey in this episode. Usually we're recording these on Friday night, but in this case, we're recording on a Saturday morning because we just had a lot of stuff to do. Normally, we have at least two weeks between recording sessions. In this case, we had one week, so we had, like, 
a one-week turnaround of recording, editing, getting everything together, and then recording again, so. It was a lot on Alex, especially because she does all of the, like, website editing, the episode editing, and she is doing the research for this episode as well, so I appreciate the work that you've put in. I do actually really, really have to thank uh, my incredibly supportive husband. So on Thursday night, I was like, he was like, when are you going to bed? And I was like, I don't know, hopefully by midnight. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and he was like, and he left me to do my thing. He left me in the bedroom to do it all. And then at one point when I was in the middle of editing, he didn't say anything. He just walked into the bedroom and he carefully put a can of Coke next to me. And then he put down some chicken from Domino's on the other side of me. Oh. <laughs> and he was like, I just want to make sure you ate. And then just laughed at What a sweetheart. Like, this is why I married you. That's true support, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And, and uh, everyone else. <laughs> but when I went to, when I finally like was ready to go to sleep, I was like, he still isn't up here. That's kind of weird. And I found him sleeping on the sofa because he didn't want to disturb me while I was editing. Oh, bless him. Yeah. All right. He's, he's earning a lot of uh, social cachet, in my opinion, <laughs> right now. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about British Airways Flight 9. Let's do it. So I first really found out about this. Um, one of my guilty pleasure shows is Air Disasters on the Smithsonian Channel, and he thinks I'm a little crazy for watching it, but it's not just like the salacious thing of like, here's a plane crash and like a bazillion people died. It's more of a you after they show you like the actual plane crash and they take you through what happened on the plane step by step they'll show you what happened and uh they show you like the investigation and the safety protocols that they put into place afterward okay and it's not always plane crashes and some of them uh it, it is a plane crash it could be a helicopter crash or it could just be something insane that happened on an airplane that almost spelled complete disaster but it's fascinating to see like the things that they do that change things afterwards. And I find it very thorough. This story I thought was so weird because usually like partway through the episode, I'm like, oh, it isn't using his radar, right? Or you can kind of like figure out what's going on. This one was so fucking weird Ooh. that I, I had to stay all the way through the episode. Like near the end, I was pretty sure I knew what was happening, but they hadn't like tipped their hand to give away what was happening but i was like i need to know what happens all right okay. that's piqued my interest so i'm gonna put you in the scene i'm gonna put you in the airplane for just a second so bear with me it's june 24th of 1982 and british airways flight 9 has left kuala lumpur in malaysia for perth australia in one of the final legs of its trip from perth it's destined for melbourne then settling in auckland new zealand Things have not gone according to plan. It's 13.40 universal time, so that would be 1.40 universal time, uh, 8.40 Jakarta time, when the first signs of trouble arise. While smoking is still permitted on airlines, the cabin's haze seems unusually thick. The fog is soon paired by the smell of sulfur. Unbeknownst to you, the smoke has not gone unnoticed by the flight crew who are conducting a clandestine investigation. So it's like... Okay, <clears throat> everyone's smoking on this flight. That's totally normal. Yeah. But now the smoke is starting to smell like farts. Yes, so it, it's feeling really bad and it's thicker than it normally is. Ooh. And I mean, it could just be someone's really just like going through a bunch of cigarettes at once. Maybe we're flying into hell. <laughs> we're on the airway to hell. <laughs> but then the windows light up. A brilliant blue light is seen rushing over the windows and wings of the Boeing 747-236B. What? You look to the left. You see two engines aflame. 
The mouths of each seem to swallow and spit out the blue light while their tails are leaving long trails of orange and yellow flames. You look to the right. For a moment, the right engines are identical to the left, but then there's a sputter. The far right engine, engine four, chokes and spews fire before ceasing entirely. The engine has stopped. It's 1342. Surely there are precautions for this. There are four engines. One loss can't spell disaster. Then, moments later, another engine chokes and grinds to a halt. Oh my god. You still have two engines, but you find yourself praying. The final two engines go quiet. It's at this moment you realize how terribly quiet the cabin is without the roar of engine blades beating against the atmosphere. There is just the silence and uncertainty. Elsewhere on the plane, Charles Capewell sits with his two sons. Chaz is ten, and Stephen is only seven. Despite the attempts to reassure the boys, he pulls out a pen and scribbles a note on the wallet of his ticket. Mom, in trouble. Plane going down. We'll do best for boys. We love you. Sorry. Pa. XXX. Oh my god. So like in this moment, it's like, I might die. I would like whoever I leave behind to know that I did my best to help my kid, to help our kids. Yeah. Ooh. So now we're going to do record scratch. <laughs> Probably wonder how we got here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. D- did you ever notice? <laughs> All right. So this has been a really long journey. Originating in Heathrow, England, uh, British Airways Flight 9 is on a hopscotch journey across the globe. From Heathrow, it's set to Sahara Airport in Bombay, followed by Sultan Abdul Aziz Shah Airport in Kuala Lumpur. On this leg from Asia to Australia, the flight is commanded by Captain Eric Moody, Senior First Officer Roger Greaves, and Senior Engineer Officer Barry Townley Freeman. Though anxious to end their exhaustive journey, the flight over the Indian Ocean is predicted to be an easy one. Much like the crew, the passengers are exhausted in the late hour and ready to touch down in Australia. So remember, this flight is beginning like around uh, 8.40 in Kuala Lumpur. It's already nighttime. It's dark out. Okay. They've been all over the globe at this point. They just want to get to Australia. Okay. And the thing is, some people are even like headed further from there. Like some people are getting off in Perth. Some people are getting off Melbourne. Some people are going all the way to New Zealand. Wow. Yeah. So like even though they're exhausted, some people still have like a pretty long journey ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. But remember, this is expected to be a very calm flight, no issues. When the smoke first seeps into the cabin, the flight crew hardly notices. It will be another six years before smoking on domestic flights is banned in the United States, (laughs) and another eight until it's banned on international flights under six hours in length. What year is this? This is 1982 when this happened. So, like, smoking wasn't banned in the U.S. on flights until, like, 88? Yeah. What? And on international flights, it wasn't even banned until 1990. But even then, it was only for flights under six hours in length. Oh, my God. So, like, well, sure. Because if you go more than six hours without a cigarette, you're going to kill yourself and everyone on board. It wasn't until the year 2000 that it was banned on all international oh flights. Oh, my God. I mean, that's, that's insane to think about. I mean, I know, like, I know you Gen Zers. <laughs> Don't remember a time when you would go to a restaurant and when they would ask you smoking or non-smoking. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I was talking to uh, a guy at work yesterday and he was talking about going to Snoqualmie Casino and people were smoking in the casino. And I was like, smoking isn't allowed in casinos anymore in Las Vegas. Like, there are smoking areas. 
But like, it not just, like, everywhere in general. Yeah, like, it used to be in the 90s, and it, just, it baffles me that there's still places where you can just smoke freely inside. I think the future is definitely going to be um, vaping flights. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna, like, bring your jewels. <laughs> Don't worry, we, we have USB ports for everything. For your e-cigarettes, for your cell phones. If you'd like to purchase a jewel cartridge... <laughs> When you press your button and the flight attendant will come by with one. They had you like a selection of different flavors. Hmm, I don't know, apricot sounds nice for this flight. (laughs) (laughs) It's the future. Oh, that's disgusting. (laughs) Hey man, I like to vape. (laughs) I mean, not nicotine, gross. (laughs) I actually have been smoke-free for 10 years. I haven't had a nicotine cigarette. Hey, congrats. In 10 years, so. That's pretty big. Yay. It's, I am a former smoker, so if you hear any vocal burn, that's my, that's my poor decisions of the past. <laughs> I was when I came to see Lacey today and I said, hi. <laughs> and I was like, can we record? <laughs> Are you all right? Is, is this a bad day? <laughs> We're just going to talk about British Airways Flight 9. My friend um, Katie Baker, now Katie Coco Venus, would always be like, in high school theater, she'd always be like, You want a butterscotch? How about just scotch? <laughs> and it was like my favorite thing to <laughs> say to someone random. I think I messed my smoker voice by uh, imitating the voice of the demon from The Exorcist. Oh, nice. What a wonderful day for an exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm thinking like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but the exorcist. (laughs) (laughs) What a beautiful day for an exorcism. A beautiful day for an exorcist. You don't want to know what happened at Cooking Friday. (laughs) (laughs) He's in here with us. (laughs) (laughs) He was, turns out he was bad King Friday, y'all. Now you know that one of my many voices is uh, the demon Bazuzu. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we haven't even scratched the surface of all the voices that are living inside Alex, just to let everyone know. I'm sorry, that demon's actually Pazuzu. And actually, uh, that's when the demons were, if you say the name out loud enough, it's supposed to actually attack you. Pazuzu, Pazuzu, Pazuzu! <laughs> Stop, Beetlejuice, Lisa! <laughs> Do I have to go into the bathroom and turn the lights out and stand in the mirror? <laughs> it's the new Bloody Mary. Pazuzu. <laughs> zoom, zoom. <laughs> Somewhere out there, there's, like, someone who's, like, really into spiritualism or demonology. And they're just like, oh, my God, these women are just, like, they are asking for death. Well, write to us and let us know how misguided we are. <laughs> we're never going to get through this episode. We're, never we're, we're getting, like, day drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I've had only one sip and I'm fucked. I mean, it is beer with liquor in it, so. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Okay, so... So, be it the thickness of the smoke or the touch of sulfur, it soon becomes enough to raise concerns. Sure. The attending crew set to work. It should be an easy mission. The cockpit hasn't reported trouble with the instruments, and the plane seems to be in good operation. Still, it's best to get ahead of the problem, should it be more than an obnoxious chain smoker. <laughs> yes, I put that in my note. <laughs> 1340 UTC, Captain Moody exits the cockpit to use the restroom. The plane is reaching its target altitude, and with clear weather radar, he's comfortable leaving the helm in the hands of his flight crew. He's gone only moments when a spark appears in the windscreen. It's a flash, no larger than a speck of light, a brilliant blue, and seems to vanish as quickly as it appears. Then there's another, and another, and another. The specks begin glittering across the face of the airplane, illuminating the cockpit in a gentle blue-white light. It may be beautiful, but its sudden appearance is also terrifying. 
The crew is baffled as they fly through the tunnel of flame and light. St. Elmo's fire, one suggests. Their eyes shift to the weather radar. St. Elmo's fire is most common in thunderstorms occurring in the upper atmosphere as a result of ionization of air molecules. This causes a faint glow of violet or blue. This mechanism is actually very similarly exploited in neon lights. Oh. So in uh, neon lights, they use neon gas, which is where it gets its name, and they ionize it. And so it's with that mechanism that they're using in there, it makes that gas glow. Oh, that's cool. I never knew that. Yeah, and it's actually based on the very similar phenomena of St. Elmo's Fire. I know St. Elmo's Fire only from the 80s movie. <laughs> yes, this is not St. Elmo's Fire the movie with Rob Lowe and Demi Moore and half the Brat Pack. <laughs> this is not that St. Elmo's Fire. Good to know, good to know. <laughs> yeah, Rob Lowe will not make an appearance in this episode. All right, I'm disappointed. But <laughs> well, I mean, this is a podcast. It's like no one could see him anyway. Oh, yeah, I guess I can Google Rob Lowe on my own time. <laughs> just just watch Parks, Rec- uh, Parks and Rec from like season three and forward. You'll be good. Oh, so good. Chris Traeger. And Perkins. <laughs> so their eyes shift to the weather radar. Uh, sorry, went through that. No weather systems have rolled in, yet despite instrumental reports of clear skies, the light is blinding. So when they check their weather radar, it's completely clear. There shouldn't be anything up here, but yet there's this light rushing over them. And this would be like in a thunderstorm, usually. Usually you would see, and it would just be like a glow, like okay. a, a general glow, like in the clouds. Think of like a neon light, like that's like a steady glow. That like soft, steady glow, not like sparks all near you. This is like, so let's think about Star Wars, shall we? When they jump to hyperspace yes. and like all that light comes rushing at them at once. Mm-hmm. Think of it like that, but it's like glittering against the windscreen. They're being haunted by the ghost of the Count of St. Germain. <laughs> he's back! <laughs> and he's crazier than ever. He took over the spot of St. Elmo and he was like, fuck you! I'm back <laughs> from Shambhala! <laughs> this is my fire now! <laughs> he brings the fire! At the back of the plane, passengers have taken notice. Blue light is licking over the wings and sliding into the engines. The smoke, the attending crew realizes, may not be an internal issue. It is not cleared and the smell of sulfur is unmistakable. In the seconds since Moody left the cabin, the calm night has entirely transformed. Back in his seat, he and his crew look out the windows to inspect the engines. The news is terrifying. All four engines are aflame, and the flight crew struggles on a course of action. It's 1342, and engine four flames out. It's next joined by engine two. Not long after, one and three flame out, and the Boeing 747-236B is at the mercy of the fates. They are at 37,000 feet. The glide ratio for this model is 15 to 1, meaning for every mile they drop, they can glide for 15 more. They calculate they have 23 minutes. In that time, they can cover 91 nautical miles. The crew needs to make an emergency landing as quickly as possible. Oh my god. And they're over the Indian Ocean right now. So, like, this would be like a water landing then? So, the closest airfield is actually in Jakarta on the island of Java. The other option is the ocean. They immediately decide to go for Jakarta since it's the closest one and they may just barely be able to make it. As the plane slowly falls, the blue glow slowly begins to subside. So they're gliding, they're turning back to Jakarta, and the plane is descending, and as they're slowing down and they're descending, the light's disappearing. Okay, so they're like, maybe we're getting out of whatever this crazy thing is. But they still don't have engines. Oh my god. So, it's 1344, and the flight is declared an emergency. Can't imagine why. 
<laughs> Using the emergency transponder, the crew is sending out signals known as squawks, but the flight radar cannot pick them up. So even though they're sending out an emergency to Jakarta, Jakarta can't see them on their screens. I learned they were called squawks because uh, part of my research for this cocktail was to look up air traffic control terms to see if there's oh, anything nice. I could glean. <laughs> Uh, while in communication with Jakarta, they request emergency landing while reporting all four engines are out. The message, however, is unclear, and Jakarta believes that they are reporting that only engine four is out. Oh no. So while the crew is attempting to communicate effectively with Jakarta, they've decided to restart the engines. They are too high for standard safety regulations to make the attempt, but they need any lift they can get, and they need it fast. Oh my and gosh. I'll explain that, too. So the the people that they're communicating with on the ground think that it's just one engine that's out, and they're like, no, it's all of our engines. Yeah, so they're like, they're saying over and over again, repeat all four engines out, all four engines out. And they're like, engine four out, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and in the meantime, they're trying to restart the engines, but again, they're too high for safety regulations, but this is why they need it as quickly as possible between their location and the nearest airport in Jakarta are a series of Indonesian mountains. The range requires a minimum height of 11,500 feet to clear. At their current rate, they will not safely pass over the peaks. Oh my god. In Garuda, their mayday has actually been received, and the Garuda team successfully communicates that all, fen- all four engines are lost to the Jakarta airport. With this new knowledge, Jakarta prepares to receive the disabled plane. So now they have clearance to land, but now it's like, okay, so one obstacle out of the way, we still don't have engines going down, and we don't think we can clear this mountain range. Oh my gosh. So. Everyone's smoking as hard as they can. (laughs) That was really smoky in there. So far, all attempts to restart the engines have failed, and the plane is losing altitude every second. The flight crew develop a plan. If they can maintain an altitude by the time they reach 12,000 feet, they will continue to Jakarta. If they hit 12,000 feet but they're still descending, they'll have to ditch in the Indian Ocean and attend a water landing, which has never been attempted before this. Wow. But they really don't have any choice. This is my favorite part of the whole story, as terrible as this all is, because you, you have to hear this. Amid the crisis, Captain Moody opens communications with the cabin to address the passengers. And this is his announcement, and it's fucking perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We have a small problem. All four engines have stopped. We are doing our damnedest to get them going again. I trust you are not in too much distress. Uh, uh, (laughs) Excuse me, I feel like that trust is misplaced. Answer from my captain that we don't have any plane engines going and that we're trying hard to get them going but we can't um i think i would be in quite a bit of distress <laughs> add that to the sulfur smell and the flashes of blue fucking light outside my window yeah i, th- I think my distress level is going to be pretty high this remark was later referred to as quote a masterpiece of understatement by <laughs> MacArthur Job, who's an aviation and air safety specialist based out of Australia. It sounds like a bit of, like, Oscar Wilde writing. It really does. So, this is one of the things that I loved about, like, watching this on Air Disasters, because it's clear that this is terrible, but all the talking heads on the show, they're, just, they're so English and they're so Australian about it. They're like... We didn't know if they were going to die. We didn't know if it was going to be the flames. We didn't know, but, you know, we were doing everything we could. (laughs) We were attempting to keep calm and carry on as is our want. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, 
like, really? And, like, you're, like, listening to, like, the aviation experts, and they're like, they, they really were in, in quite, quite a bit of trouble up there, but, you know, the, this crew, they... They they were definitely following the correct procedures, but they they were they were in a bit of a spot. <laughs> I feel like British culture is like understatement. <laughs> well, you know, it's just stiff upper lip. Yeah, that's fair. So as the crew continues to attempt to restart the engine, the cabin pressure falls and oxygen masks automatically deploy. Well, if I wasn't in too much distress before, now I certainly <laughs> am. Through the smoke and panic, passengers reach for air as the crew in the cockpit do the same. They are further inhibited when the hose of Senior First Officer Greaves' mask detaches, Moody recognizes two immediate problems. One, if Greaves cannot repair his mask, the flight crew will be down a First Officer, leaving only two people active in the cockpit. Number two, oxygen masks only offer a small, limited amount of breathable air. So the whenever a cabin depressurizes, that oxygen is supposed to be just enough for them to get to a safe altitude to where the passengers can breathe again. Mm. So knowing this, and to protect the passengers and crew, Moody pushes the plane into a descent, leveling to a breathable altitude of 13,500 feet. A water ditch is quickly becoming more likely as they continue to fall from the sky. Oh my gosh. So it's like, if it's not one thing, it's something fucking else. I'm just trying to, like, I'm really got this mental picture in my head of, like, this, like, people scrambling for their masks and this poor, like, uh, first officer, like, trying to grab his and just, like, the shock and horror of, like, oh, great, it's detached. Yeah, yeah. So he's, like, he's trying to repair it while Moody's descending the plane. Oh, my gosh. As they continue the restart procedures, the altitude begins counting down to 12,000 feet, the point of no return. It's 1356. A sound hums through the cabin as Engine 4 successfully roars to life. Engine 4! <laughs> they have one engine. Oh. It's not perfect, but it's more than the crew had a moment earlier. Seconds later, engines 1 through 3 spin to life. Oh my god! The crew can hardly contain their glee as the full power is restored to the flight in just in the nick of time. Oh, they're like almost at that mountain range yeah. light. Like... They radio Jakarta. All four engines are back. They have the lift to clear the mountain range. Ugh, I, I just, like, had a big sigh yeah. okay? But they're not out of the woods. Ugh. With all four engines operational, the crew requests to rapidly ascend. The thinner air has less resistance, meaning they can get to Jakarta faster. Mm. When their request is approved, they again raise their aircraft. Once they do, the light returns. Oh my god. In moments... The engines are ablaze once more. Oh my Here God. we go again! <laughs> right back into the firestorm! Oh yeah! Like oh. I said, this, this fucking story. This time, they cannot see beyond the pane of glass. The lights are so bright, one crew member later compared it to having a sheet of paper covering the full length of the windscreen. Oh. Recognizing the danger, Moody throttles back the plane, reducing speed just as Engine 2 surges and flames out once more, just as they clear the mountain range. Ugh. With the slower speeds they drop from altitude, the light fades again. Now, they're on course to land. They approach the airport, but several troubling things become clear. Number one, the windscreen is heavily damaged, severely obstructing their abilities to see the runway lights clearly. Oh no. They could only make out the hazy glow of the runway lights. So it's like you also can't see if there's like somebody else. Yeah, anywhere. you can't see shit. Uh. 
Also, the plane's own exterior lights have been damaged and are not providing them with illumination. To compensate for their diminished visibility, the crew attempts to use their ILS, which is the instrument landing system, to guide the plane to a safe landing. Because, I mean, engineers are expecting maybe something happens where you can't see. Like, what if you're flying through a thick fog? Right. But there's a problem. Oh my gosh. More fucking problems. The vertical guidance of the ILS is inoperative, giving the crew only lateral guidance. So, like, the whole landing of it all. <laughs> yeah, so, like, you know, just knowing where you are compared to where the ground is. Uh. To compensate for the new obstacle, Captain Moody and First Officer Greaves are forced to work in tandem. As Moody operates the craft and reads the lateral guidance, Greaves utilizes the airport's DMA, or distance measuring equipment. He calls out the height the craft should be at at each step of their approach, and Moody matches his orders while reading and reacting to his own instrumentation, and wow. this is the final obstacle. So just like imagine that, like one guy has to be, no, we need to be at this altitude, and this guy over here needs to match it while also responding to what his instruments are saying while also going through their basic landing procedures. I feel like it's the highest stakes possible version of that scene in the office where they're playing the beach games and somebody's blindfolded and carrying an egg on a spoon yeah. and the other person is directing them yeah. and trying to get them to not run into obstacles, but it's a plane full of people. But it's also when you're trying to avoid obstacles, you are walking over the fire pit at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Okay. So it's the final obstacle. All they need to do is land the plane as safely as possible. On June 24th, 1982, against all odds, British Airways Flight 9 lands safely at Jakarta. Ugh. With their windscreen badly damaged, the plane is unable to taxi and passengers are forced to exit where they stopped on the tarmac. As they exit one by one, they look back at their craft in horror. The windscreen has turned nearly white. And the paint along the fronts of the wings and the nose of the plane have been entirely stripped away. Oh my god. In the light of day, flight crew reunites to take a photograph in front of their seemingly sandblasted aircraft. That's nuts! Again, the force with which this, like, plane was... Yeah! That's insane! Okay. But against all odds, an endless catastrophe, all 248 passengers and 15 crew members walk away unharmed. Oh, that is so incredible. Right? Right? Whoa. So, like, their plane's on fire. They're fine. Their plane's on fire. They're fine. Their engines are out. Their engines are working. Like, everything yeah. goes wrong. They can't land. They can't see. Like, what? Yeah. Okay, so this is incredible. To, so you want to know what happened? Yes. No, I'm going to leave you hanging. Now you need to do your own research. You're like, <laughs> the end. <laughs> It was aliens. No, it was not aliens. <laughs> I mean, we can't say for sure it wasn't aliens, but... So the cause of what is now referred to as the, quote, Jakarta incident began five months earlier west of the Indonesian island of Java. In January of 1982, and I apologize, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. I looked it up, but I couldn't. Like, even the pronunciation that I looked up, I was like, great, that doesn't help me. Mm. Um, Mount Galungung. Can you spell it? G-A-L-U-N-G-G-U-N-G. -G -G -G. Wow. Yeah. Mount Galungung erupted, resulting in the deaths of 18 people in traffic-related incidents. Over the next few months, the mountain continued to spew ash and debris from smaller eruptions. On the evening of June 24th, the volcano released a plume of sulfuric ash into the sky. Mmm, that's 
sulfur smell. Yeah, against the night sky of the Indian Ocean, the cloud was invisible to pilots. Furthermore, weather radar used in aircraft at the time were calibrated to detect the water vapor in storm clouds. Due to this, the system could not detect the dry ash cloud in their flight path. Their masks filter out smoke, not toxins. <laughs> God! Thank you for the Star Wars reference. <laughs> You're welcome. But like, it's, it's like the instruments being tuned to like what they are supposed to usually and yeah. what would be most useful and not this like outlying situation that no one like would have predicted. Yeah, like they can't look out their window and see it because it's dark outside. Yeah. So it's just blended into the night sky and then their weather radar is showing perfectly clear skies. So it's like there's no problems, but... You yeah, there's this like an invisible at the time mm-hmm. threat. So the plume was sucked into the engine. As the speeding jet tore through the particulate matter of the ashen earth, uh. the intense collision of matter inflamed in the air in an incredible demonstration of friction. So it was like sandblasting. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Furthermore, when the ash was sucked into the fan blades of the airplane, the molten hot matter wrapped around the fins and choked them. Oh my god. As a result, all four engines stalled. But with the engines offline, the plane began gliding and descending and it slowed. So you're just like dumping like buckets of like molten rock and ash into these plane engines. Like they're becoming superheated because they're interacting with the engine already because of yeah. all that mass friction. So it's turning to like this, it's pretty much turning to lava oh inside my god. of it. But when the pl- once the engines are no longer running and the plane is falling and they're going slower, it actually cools down inside the engine and that material becomes brittle and it just clearly shears off. Mm. So once the plane reaches the lower altitude where it's safe for a restart, by happenstance, all these elements have aligned and this material has shed from the engines and they were able to successfully restart all four. Oh. The lights only returned when the aircraft began its rapid ascent, pairing both the speed and the altitude of the ash club. Because the, al- the ash club's already higher up, and they're doing that rapid ascent. So they're going mm. very quickly back through it. Enforcing all those particles through the engine again. Yeah, so the intense friction choked engine two, but because Moody reduced speed and they were descending the plane immediately afterwards to land the plane... It was the only thing that spared them the total blackout of all engines again. I'm picturing it like, this is the where my mind went, like, um, wax. Because I just took a bath with a bunch of candles and I've got wax all over my apartment right now, so that's <laughs> on my mind. But, like, it's like the wax melts and it's, like, all gooing up everything. And then you go down further and it's, like, it, it cools enough to kind of shatter off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, on the ground, the comparison sandblasting was entirely apt. And it wow. was a matter in which the clouds reacting with the four forcing portions of the aircraft... It etched the window into an opaque frost and devoured the skin of the aircraft. Ugh, that's terrifying. You're flying through a rock cloud. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. So following the incident, the Boeing 747 was returned to London via a ferry that didn't fly it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty, like, not flyable at this point. Yeah. There, the fuel tanks were emptied and cleared of ash contaminants. Engine 4 was replaced in its entirety, and the remainder of the craft underwent thorough repair, and it was returned to service. What? Like, it actually flew for many, many years after this. Like, I tracked the history of the airplane after this, and it continued its run with British Airways. It got sold to, like, a few other, like, smaller domestic planes, and it was finally decommissioned, like... I would say like 10 years ago and dismantled for parts. It makes me want to like next time I get on a plane like rub the wing and be like you got this old girl. I know you've seen many trips. (laughs) 
after that, uh, so the airspace around the mountain was closed for several days before reopening, but then on July 13th of the same year, a Singapore Airlines flight was forced to shut down three of their four engines due to ash. Mm. After this incident, the airspace around the volcano was closed permanently. Yeah, like, let's just not fly into this cloud of ash and rock. Yeah. Yeah. The flight led to improvements on weather radar knowledge regarding the effect of volcanic ash on an aircraft, and training for pilots should they find themselves in a similar situation. So now pilots know that if they're having like this strange effect, but they're not seeing anything on their weather radar, it's probably volcanic ash or something drying the upper atmosphere and to descend immediately. I, I really love like knowing how something like disastrous or potentially disastrous like went on to change the system. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I love about air disasters. Because of this, uh, they increased training for pilots and today airspace around active volcanoes is closed. That is incredible. Yeah. What amazing changes that like no one really knew needed to be made until this happened. Yeah, and uh, so the flight crew were showered with various aviation and safety awards. Business Insider Australia credited Captain Moody with, quote, the best captain announcement ever made. <laughs> <laughs> In 1993, passengers Betty Tutel and James Ferguson married. She'd been traveling with her sister at the time, and Ferguson sat in the row in front of her. <laughs> Charles Capewell and his two sons were later safely and happily reunited with their family in Australia. Ugh, I wonder if he still has that note. I wonder if he did. I would frame it. Same. And put it on the wall in my house. They, like, never forget that, like, it was this close. Yeah, yeah. This remarkable story has led to several literary and journalistic publications and has been featured on shows such as May Day on Discovery Channel Canada slash National Geographic here in America and Air Disasters on the Smithsonian Channel. Following the incident, many of the surviving passengers and crew stayed in contact. They formed what they now call, and I fucking love this, the Galagung Gliding Club. <laughs> the club continues to hold regular reunions. I love it! And that is the flight of British Airways Flight 9. You know Tanya Head is trying to show up to one of these reunions. I was there too! I was the baby on the flight! <laughs> listen, listen to our Lies of Tanya Head episode if you don't know what we're referencing. This is... That was a great story! I just like... I know I've had like a lot of like really depressing and really weird and episodes that I know have stoked a lot of anger in you, but I mean... <laughs> This one, oh man, the payoff is so good. Yeah, it's. I feel like a, it's like a detox episode of like sometimes bad things happen and no one dies and it makes the world a better place overall. Yeah, like there were times like during like watching this, I was like, okay, I'm gonna get up and pee because like they're like doing this thing. I was like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> you are staying here. You are holding in. You're gonna damage your kidneys and you're gonna fast forward through all the commercial breaks. <laughs> I am. I'm impressed by like how. The, like the quick thinking too of like oh we've got to send to go faster and then like oh no that's not working like the mm -hmm. having to navigate and react to everything like all the stressors in the environment and like yeah. wow they literally had everything that could go wrong go wrong and there were so many times when had it been any other crew they could have plummeted from the sky yeah i think they definitely earned all the awards that they got yeah yeah they did wow and I love this. I know. Oh. And like, and like I was saying at the beginning, unlike the Counter Saint Germain episode, which was like an hour and a half long, it's gonna be a shorter episode. But I think you're in some pod closet. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy with it. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm just kind of blown away by this. 
Yeah. Oh man, I would be shitting myself on that plane. Yeah, I'd be glad I wore the brown pants. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, um, passengers were actually a lot of them scribbled notes on things. Like some people like wrote them like on tray tables, on pieces of paper that they had in their pockets. That's what I'd be doing too. Yeah. So it wasn't just uh, Charles who was there with his son. It was a lot of people. I actually um, always have a sharpie on me for whatever reason, we won't go into it. But I probably would like write something on my arm or something yeah, and be I like, I love you, mom. <laughs> well, so uh, when I got my tattoo on my back, um, it was my 18th birthday present to myself, was getting a tattoo and it- <laughs> That tracks. Really pissed off my family. Uh, my mom and I, about a year later, we were watching something about TWA Flight 800, which I will cover uh, at some point in time. And there was a story about a mother and daughter and the daughter had a tattoo and the mother was pissed the daughter got the tattoo but when she was identifying remains it was because of that tattoo she was able to identify her daughter oh, wow. and was able to bring her home and i just remember like poking my head out to look at my mom because like one of us was in the kitchen the other one was in the living room while we're watching this together and she's like yes alex i heard <laughs> That's why I'm getting tattoos, so you know it's my body. It is interesting, like, how um, family members sometimes feel like they have, like, a right uh, over your body. Like, <laughs> I, I understand where my mom was coming from. She, uh, I thought for years that she was angry with me because um, she didn't like tattoos and I got a tattoo. And I knew she didn't like tattoos, but I had lied to her. And I told her uh, I didn't want to get a tattoo because I knew she'd be angry if I mm. told her I did. And so she was angry that I lied to her about it, and I didn't tell her about it until after I got it, which I completely I can understand. understand. So uh, at the time, I was like, why is she so angry at me for getting a tattoo? It's my body. It's not your body. I was like, oh, no, because the way I did it was a dick way to do it instead of talking to her about it and like letting her come to terms with it before it happened. I can understand that. My experience with the family feeling a sense of ownership over your body. Yeah. Um, I don't have any tattoos, but I dyed my hair like dark red in um, like second or as a second year of college for a role as Satan in a play. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd always wanted to go red. I'd been curious about it and like just, I don't know, I was excited to try it. I'd never dyed my hair anything and it was a big change. Wait, wasn't this when you played the devil in the devil in Faust? Uh, no, I was never in that, but I was in um, the last uh, the last days of Judas Iscariot. Oh. And I played Satan, and I played Satan with a deep southern accent because I thought that was more interesting. Well, <laughs> you got it when you went down to Georgia. <laughs> That's right. That's where the devil went, and she camps out there sometimes. Um, and so I went red, and like I experienced such pushback from... It was like, I remember my grandpa and like several other members of my family were just like, why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> like you have, you have the thing people pay money to have, which is the blonde hair. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I have it. Like it's yeah. going to keep growing out of my damn head forever. Like <laughs> why not have some fun? I mean, yeah. also dyeing my hair all these cool colors a lot easier. And like, I did talk to uh, my husband, you know, at the time and was like, Hey, uh, I know you have to look at me. And also we just got married and like. What it, does this mean? Is this a problem for you if I go red? And he's like, nah, I think like men like variety. It'd be cool to see you with a different yeah. color. <laughs> he was all about it. And I was like, okay, well, cool. The only person whose opinion super matters is yeah. in. Um, and now, you know, it's funny because I was like, oh, I'll never go back. And after I quit my career, I like went to bright pink and side shaved and like did all kinds of shit I, I wanted with my hair. hair yeah. uh, and now I'm like long, blonde, straight hair again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I, I know I've told you this, our listeners don't know this, but uh, I've talked about how close my grandma and I were, the one I just lost. Uh, her and I, after we moved away from the house next door to her, 
I used to have lunch with her once a week come hell or high water. And I love this it. started like when I was in high school. But when I was in high school was when I started dyeing my hair. And I had like done some like funky things with before. Like my grandma was there when I got like a red purple rinse put on my hair. So, That's like, a real like brunette in high school thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like she she knew the escalation was coming, but so I dyed my hair bright pink. And oh wow. Unlike you, I have dark brown hair. So you had to do a lot of damage to it to oh, get it there. Oh yeah, I really did. And so I had, and I used a used manic panic on it, so like it also like would be like blue light reactive too. <laughs> so it was, it was really cool. But she came to pick me up from school, and I think it was like a Thursday or Friday, so we could go to lunch together. And as I get out of my final class, I realize, oh shit, no one told Grandma I dyed my hair. So I try calling her on my cell phone, just like. Give her a heads up, hey, if a weirdo jumps into your car, it's just me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but while I'm calling her, she's calling me to tell me where she's parked. So we end up not missing each other. And by the time I'm able to like, get a call through to her, I'm at her rear bumper. <laughs> so I'm like, I can either like stay on the phone and be like this weird person standing behind her car and then like climb in. Or I can just bite the bullet and jump into the front seat, which is what I ended up doing. <laughs> she didn't recognize me at first. That's amazing. But then when she realized it was me, she started laughing. She thought it was hilarious. She loved it. I love that. Yeah, she told that story for years. <laughs> I miss my grandma. She was awesome. Yeah, she sounds incredible. She was. She really was. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm her clone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're incredible, so by proxy. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, thank you so much for this palette cleanser. You're welcome. Uh, I really enjoyed doing this episode. Um, and once we get off mic, uh, there's something I want to tell you about our upcoming episodes I think you'll enjoy. All right. Well, uh, Look forward to us over the next couple of weeks. You'll see our cocktail and mocktail recipes, and you'll uh, be able to download our next episode. Yeah. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Yay. <laughs> this is a messy one with all the, co the coconut. Greaves, the co-pilot, sends a Mayday message to Jakarta to ground control. Now, they still had communication with ground control, but it was getting intermittent. And nevertheless, this message did get through clearly, uh, and the message was, Mayday, all four engines have failed, and the details of that flight. How frustrating is this? Um, the message that came back to Greaves was, um, oh, do you have a problem? <laughs> <laughs>